Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Hope you're having a good evening and, and hope you are ready to settle down and listen to some fascinating information. I want to thank first Ken Quiethawk for his amazing introduction. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com. It's an amazing website and it is appropriately another way of recording history and passing information and legends and, and ancestors down generation to generation. It's very appropriate that my guest tonight is Scott Walter, and for decades he has honed his skills in the science, in the sciences, looking for historical answers within the natural world. Now he continues his quest for the truth on the Travel Channel in the new, a new season of America on Earth. This is the fourth one that premiered on May 28th. In these one-hour shows. He explores some of America's deepest secrets, digging up mysteries that have been hidden until now, using his background as a forensic geologist and teaming up with eyewitnesses and other experts in their respective fields. He is determined to find new evidence and ultimately the proof that's been buried in time, suggesting history <clears throat> isn't what we've been told or taught for that matter. As with many journeys of this nature, the destination is very elusive and often takes us in directions not anticipated or expected. Scott shares with us the mystery of the hooked X and where it has led him, from ancient Cistercians to Knights Templar, early Native Americans to the Freemasons, Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers, and beyond. He has an amazing story to tell and uh, has been telling or filling us in on what history actually is using the evidence that has been left behind by generations of others that have been to this land and have left their messages in stone and on stone for a great many of them. So welcome to the show, Scott. I'm so glad you're with us tonight. Well, thank you. That was quite, uh, quite a nice introduction, and I'm glad to be here. We're going to have fun tonight. We are. I, I, you know, you've done, this is, you're into now your fourth season of America on Earth, 
And um, I have to admit, I've been an addict since the very beginning, so I've probably seen a lot of these shows more than you have. Um, <laughs> well, you probably have because, you know, I watch them once, and I just like to see how they cut it all together. And uh-huh. and I don't need to watch it again because I, I know what happened. And, you know, it's I'm not wild about watching myself on TV. But I will say that they put together a really – um, a, a beautiful show. It looks good, and uh, they make me look way better than I am, and I love them for that. So I thank the production <laughs> company, Committee Films. As I've gotten older, I have learned that they can kind of um, soften lines and things like that with <laughs> lenses. They can get very creative. Um, I, I've learned well, a lot must, about They must to... have some pretty powerful magic there. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I tell people sometimes if if the backlighting is appropriate that they used film that had no wrinkles in it. But um, I, your first your first first three seasons um, fascinated me because quite often you know our history books are just they suck. Um, <laughs> I was I would I would I, have I to agree school. with you on that one, Barbara. Yeah, I I taught school for twenty five years and. I just would gag when when I was looking at what the syllabus has said and what the textbook said, knowing knowing that this was not the truth about what history actually was. It couldn't be. Well, how it, do you handle that then? I mean, doesn't the uh, you know the the um, you know the truth seeker in you? I, I mean, how do you handle that? That's got to be so conflicting and i mean don't you just get to a point where you know something is wrong you you have to put your foot down or you just you just grin and bear it well i was lucky i taught special education and in the years that i taught special education they were just grateful that i kept the kids out of trouble so <laughs> when it when it came to things like you know let's google this and see where in the united states um, Columbus actually landed, and so I, I think my special ed class had a better sense of history than than a lot of other places. Um, because so you worked of course, around it. Instead of saying it was wrong, you challenged the kids to try to figure it out on their own. Is that kind of what you did? Oh yeah, and and because I had taught them how to use the computer, you know, Google was our friend, and so it was. Let's look at this a little bit more. Let's see what more we can find out about this. And so it was it was an education for all of us and I think that, that in many ways, um yeah, I have issues with special education now, however, but but at the time it was wonderful to to be able to see some see the kids excited about something and be able to say, Well, let's look into it. Let's see what it I know that, that um at one point, we were talking about ancient Egypt, and we were talking about meditation, and they, they, they wanted to know what it was, so I taught them meditation so that they ah. understood what, what it was and how you use it. So it was, it's, it, it was exciting for me because at first there were absolutely no guidelines. It was just, you know, keep them out of trouble. Keep them out of trouble, so, yeah. Yeah, or, or keep them out of sight sometimes. But yeah. it, it was... It was it was amazing when I learned that teaching could be such an exciting thing. And then, of course, as the years went on, the state began to regulate and regulate and regulate. And, and then I became, it did feel to me as though I was being absolutely 
tie it into a little place and you know don't don't leave it and when we do our spot checks you better be teaching about what you said you were going to be teaching so that's when i retired so yeah. but but then it then it became okay so so let's find another way of teaching another place we can teach another way we can put uh, truth out there, and and on all levels, whether it's spiritual or historical or scientific, just let's look for the truth. You you know, the truth always has many layers. So yes, the truth is like an onion. You know, you peel away one layer, and then it's aha! Oh wait, there's another layer here, and and so you're constantly going layer upon layer upon layer, getting getting wiser, not necessarily smarter, but wiser as you go. So, so your your series absolutely, in many cases, um, fattened my my library extensively because I wanted to look further into a lot of the things that you were looking into, and um, you know, and it, it was it was amazing when, you know, I'd be watching it and, and I would be saying, I knew that, I knew that that had to be because it couldn't possibly be what they're teaching in school, you know, so. Um, <laughs> It became a great platform for me to to leap off of into into directions that were that were unusual. I actually, um, you were talking at, at, in some place about about George Washington, and I remembered in my family history I had there was something about George Washington, and it turns out that one of my relatives joined um, joined the army um, when he was sixteen or seven sixteen, I think. And Washington felt he was just too young to put in the front lines. And since he was an apprentice tailor, he traveled with George Washington, mending his britches for the entire war. Oh, wow! Which, which, which I thought what was an interesting so cool. uh, what an interesting job. <laughs> he never saw combat, but he did see more of Washington than most people did. <laughs> I can appreciate that. That's yes. funny. <laughs> That's so, pretty good. So, I I think what what fascinates me most about your journey because it felt like that originally you were you were hitting you know ancient artifacts and you were trying to date them and you're trying to figure out who left them and why and their purpose and everything. But but when you got to the Kensington Runestone, it felt like you took on a whole new journey. Well, really, the Runestone was where it started and. Mm-hmm. Um, that journey continues to this day. I mean, and, you know, I, I, it's, I have to say, Barbara, I'm at a point now where I, 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 I mean, I, I guess if you asked me 5, 10, 15 years ago, I would have said I thought I had it figured out, but I really didn't. I mean, there are so many layers. I mean, the basic question um, I had figured out, you know, within the first year, um, it was authentic. I knew it was old. I knew it was authentic. But, you know, that really is, you talk about the, the layers of an onion. <clears throat> the runestone is the best example of an onion that's about the size of a of a basketball. I mean, it's it's got so many layers to it. And, you know, just when I thought, you know, the geology was really the, the end of it, because I always say to people, um, I trust rocks. I, I, I don't trust some people. Um, rocks have never lied to me. Um, rocks will tell you the truth. And the rock told me that it was authentic. And, you know, at that point, I kind of thought my work was done. 
but then <laughs> then came the criticism and then came the attacks and and I'm like wait a minute what the heck is going on here I didn't understand that I had you know ventured into forbidden territory and you know it was really a, a surprise to me and anyway it, it took me a while to sort of figure out what was going on but I, I figured it out pretty quick <clears throat> and then and then I went after you know the the other aspects of the of the, of the inscription that have nothing to do with geology like the language, the runes, the dialect, the grammar, you know, all of those things that I said in my business, everything boils down to logic. If this, then that, if that, then this, and so on and so forth. And that was one of my favorite <laughs> classes in college was logic because it just made so much sense. And and I apply it in my work and in my life every day. And, and the logic on the runestone is simple. If it's an authentic medieval artifact, then everything in that inscription has to be medieval. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I read the papers and I heard the lectures from the academics that said all this stuff was wrong. And I knew that they had to be wrong because the geology said so. And sure enough, um, working with a couple of linguists and taking five trips to Sweden, found it all. And, you know, I guess I thought at that point that they would probably say, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. No, that's that's not what happened <laughs> all it did was <laughs> piss them off even more and i mean it's just amazing to me so i've i've learned that in this arena you know the 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 standard rules of engagement don't apply and um you're dealing with you know human beings as well so the human element enters in and the human element has had more to say about the Kensington Runestone than than science and really hardcore investigation, which is sad, but that's part of the problem that we deal with. Well, it, th- that's that's so very true. And, and in the in the 1800s, when they were trying to figure out how to um, date tools and flintstones and flints and and everything that they were digging up. Um, they had such horrible trouble trying to get into the pre-Columbian time frame because the standard was it had to be after Columbus. And, and you know, that just couldn't, they couldn't date a lot of the, the pieces they were looking at because there was such argument between the scientists as to, you know, when it, when it was and, you know, which period it went in. And it, it was horrible. And, it, I, I still think that today we have the same problem that people we, don't we do. want to believe. Well, the truth is we do, um, but I do think things are st- finally starting to change. And I, you know, as frustrated as uh, well as amazing as the internet can be, it can also be frustrating. But in this case, you know, part of the problem that um, you know that, that that you know people that were trying to investigate these controversial artifacts and and historical truths was that these scholars could bury the information and that researchers had to travel to libraries, had to travel. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the Internet has just completely changed everything. And, you know, they can't hide stuff anymore. They can't bury it in a a book or or bury it. um, You know, you can just get information so quickly, so fast that, 
it's really changed the landscape. And, you know, um, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's just it's just fantastic. So, well, I, I love what the Kensington Moonstone did to you. I mean, first it gave you the hook decks. Yep. And and then there were the 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 dots, and then there were the holes, and and each new level brought different meaning to the stone, brought brought a new level of of how complex it was, and 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 yep. it, it's it's so amazing. You you know you think about the early whatevers, and you you don't. You don't think they're stupid, but you because they don't have the internet, so they can't possibly be as smart as they were. And it, it to me, it's they didn't have the internet, so they had to use their brains a heck of a lot more than we do. And well, you're you're 100 percent right. And I think the thing that that I'm constantly amazed by is how intelligent, how clever, how ingenious um, these these ancient people were, and how they were able to use. Uh, the natural world, the you know the stars, the sun, the moon, the planets, Venus, and 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 use it scientifically. Um, the megalithic yard is probably the best example of that, where it's a measurement that is extremely accurate because of the accuracy and the predictability of the movements of the planet Venus, and mm-hmm. how they were able to take that light out there and convert it into a science and, and, a, and a measuring system that is found all over the world going throughout time. It's found in Washington, D.C. Our founding fathers were aware of it. Um, I mean, if you stop and think about it, that's incredible. And that's just one example of this ancient knowledge that they were able to apply. And you know, like you said with the runestone, there's there's so many levels and layers to the to the inscription, and to the stone holes that triangulate at the Omen Farm, so that if they did want to come back and find it, they could. They didn't need to, of course, <clears throat> because the sanctuary that the Templars established um, eventually became what we call the United States of America when they passed that obligation on to our founding fathers, who were all Freemasons. And mm-hmm. um, if you don't think that there's a connection there, you're dreaming. And so, well, you know, it, it's it's just an incredible story. Well, what I'm fascinated by is, you know, today we, we think about, you know, um, we, we want to leave things for generations yet to come, and so we've got the Internet and we've got all of this crap. But... All of those people back eight, nine thousand years ago were thinking about the future, and everything that they carved in stone became a time capsule for generations right. to come. Yep, you know you're they right. weren't they weren't you know, they weren't just land whatevers. They were they were here's information, here's wisdom, here's here's something that we have discovered that we're going to share with you, and they they carved it in stone, and you know we're 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 having trouble understanding what they they meant in in many cases, but they left us messages. They're messages from the past, and and they had so much wisdom to share that that it's it's frustrating, I would think, to to be able to decipher everything. And and with your 
with your different levels with the Kensington Runestone. I, I chuckled every time you brought something else up. It was like, look at that. That's something else that has to be deciphered, understood, grasped, and utilized. Well, you're, you're right. And, you know, one of the things that you're going to read in my new book is what I'm now calling the, the final piece. And, of course, I'll probably be proven wrong there, too. But, <laughs> but I think it really is the missing piece because, <clears throat> I mean, you know, we can sit here and criticize these academics all we want, and, and, and deservedly so in many cases. But these people aren't stupid. Um, they, they, they do know some things. And, you know, and, and part of me was always, how can they miss these things? And, and, and what is it, you know, why is it that they can't figure this thing out when, I mean, first of all, they didn't have the geological background. And they, they, they chose, they believed that their linguistic, runological knowledge, you know, trumped the geology. It was more scientific than the geology. And. I mean, I find that laughable myself, but, but this is what they believed. And, and whether it's right or not, it's what they believed. And it, it impacted their actions, as you said. But I now understand one of the key pieces that they were missing <clears throat> was, quite frankly, a piece that I was missing until I became a Freemason. Mm-hmm. And this is what I talk about um, in my new book, The Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. And the reason I call it The Cryptic Code is because it was in the cryptic degrees of the York Rite branch of Freemasonry that I made this epiphany discovery. And it's, it's not small. It's a huge thing. And basically what happened was <clears throat> I was going through a degree that had to do with the legend of Enoch. And if mm-hmm. you know anything about the, the legend of Enoch, you know that um, he, he hid some very important treasures um, yeah. <clears throat> below the Sanctum Sanctorum in the, uh, in the Temple of Solomon, nine levels below the Sanctum Sanctorum. And That's in the degree, weird. we learn details about what that's, about. But one of the things we learn is that the three grand masters built the secret vault, <clears throat> where a copy of the true treasures, all the true treasures that were in the Sanctum Sanctorum above, were hidden. That's interesting, a copy, which means that there's more than one ark. <clears throat> so anyway, I mean, there's a whole bunch that goes on there, but but then when the lecture portion of the degree came, and our degrees are bake, uh, broken up into part theatrical performance and part lecture, and in the lecture, I heard this, and the other eight arches were built by 22 men from Gebel. And I went, eight and 22, those are the first two numbers on the Kensington Runestone inscription. And I didn't hear another thing after that. <laughs> and and so, of course, I dug into it. Well, needless to say, there was more. <laughs> and, in fact, all eight of the numbers that occur on the runestone occur in the degree, in sequence, the same numbers. 
that is amazing. That is not a coincidence. Um, and it just goes on and on from there. But and you can read the book, and you can you can you can read what the numbers mean. They're all symbolic. They're all important. They all tie mm-hmm. directly to the Templars. And this whole legend of Enoch um, is is the backbone of this whole thing. But what I discovered, Barbara, the the, the key thing that I discovered is that most of the inscription is allegory, mm-hmm. is code, um, symbolism. It's not meant to be taken literally. However, there are certain parts of the inscription that are to be taken literally. It's a lot like our Masonic degrees. It's the same thing. There are real historical truths embedded within the degrees. The difficult part is trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And then, well, that, and then I thought part of about your journey, though. <clears throat> well, this is the continuation of the journey. But there was yeah. something else that occurred to me after I thought about this that was so brilliant about masonry, and that is paper can burn and degrade over time, right? right. And that information is lost. You can carve things in stone. And they'll last a lot longer, but eventually they can, you know, weather away or they can be destroyed. They can be broken up or, uh, or cut or whatever. But as long as there are human beings that are performing and passing on these rituals, the real historical truth embedded within them lives forever. It's a brilliant system. And it was one of the epiphanies that I had and you know, I, it helped me understand that ritual is ancient. It's been around for thousands of years, probably tens of mm-hmm. thousands of years. But it's such a brilliant system. And, of course, it, it helped me focus on what was real in the inscription and what was not. But it also helped me understand why the scholars are struggling so badly and why, quite frankly, I don't think they will ever get their arms around the Kensington runestone. And this is what it is. This is very, very important. Before you can become initiated, before you can truly learn the mysteries, you have to be humbled. And we go through that process when we become a Mason. There was no way I was ready to become a Mason until I was in my 50s. I was too cocky. I wasn't ready to receive. And one of the things that we showed in one of our recent episodes, in fact, it was last week. Did you see the Courtney Cave? Yes, I did. Do you remember the opener where they showed that that? you know, devil-like figure and, and, and the old man in the cave and the initiate with the blindfold and all of that? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when he showed him the skull? Yeah. The whole point behind that is to remind people that you came into this world with nothing, you're going to go out with nothing. It's what you do in between that matters. It's the impact you have on people's lives and your family, and your friends. And that's all that matters. And it's, it, the whole idea is to humble you. 
And once you are truly humbled, and when you go through Masonic degrees, if there's any Masons that are listening, they will remember what happened. And, and, and they were stripped of everything. And now you are ready to receive. And, and so that happened to me. And, and, and I wasn't ready to understand the allegorical nature of not just the runestone, but things like the Bible and other stories that we all know until I was ready. And I thought about it, and I remembered a lot of those scholars that I interacted with. There is no way in hell they're <laughs> ever going to be ready to receive. And until they are, they're never going to get this final piece and what the runestone is. And I can guarantee you one thing. <laughs> that farmer, <laughs> Ola Bowman, <clears throat> yeah. he was not a Freemason. He didn't carve it. And if he didn't carve oh. it, then who no, did? No, I, you know, <laughs> I, n- I never thought he did. I just felt it horrible what they did to him and his family. And, you know, people who make honest discoveries and try to share it and then are, you know, accused of being, you know, frauds and hoaxers. And, I, you know, I, I think that what's going to really make me feel like I've made a mark is when somebody starts to attack me and say I don't know what I'm talking about because, you know, my truth is my truth and I'm very – very um, sure about my truth, but it may not be your truth. So that, you know, it, it, it's okay, you know. It, it's well, sort of yeah, like you, you make a good point. I mean, I, you know, I, I now realize that um, if, if people don't attack you, then you're not making a difference. I mean, they can't right. attack the evidence that we have on the runestone. They, they, they simply can't. I mean, it's a, it's a bulletproof case. They just mm-hmm. don't like the answer. So when they can't attack the evidence, what's the next thing they do? They try to, they they, they attack the messenger. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring it. <laughs> I don't care. Well, you know, it, it's sort of like I, I, I always tell people that, you know, they don't have to believe what I believe. If if it doesn't feel right to them, then move on. You know, it's it's sort of like the radio, the the podcast. If somebody criticizes it, it's you know you have a right to change the channel anytime you want to. Exactly. So, or if you don't like my show or you don't like me, yeah. nobody's got a gun to your head. Turn the channel. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I. Every now and then, when when I'm criticized about something, I feel very very good about it. You know, I I usually say thank you, um, because it means well, on somebody the other actually. Hand, you, you, what you've done is is you've motivated a person. You've touched them at a at a deep level that they felt like they needed to respond. So you're right. You should feel good about that. I mean, unless you said something silly, but I, I highly doubt yeah. that. Well, <laughs> you know, the purpose of the show, it's called Nightlight for a reason. It's, it's you know, I'm going to put out there what I feel are, are pieces of the light, pieces of, in, of wisdom, of, of spiritual wisdom in many cases, and and if it if it triggers something in you, just if it makes you think, I've done my job. And Absolutely. you know, it, it's it's just it's such an exciting place to be. And and of course, with with Mark Eddy doing a show on the channel too, we we get more stuff out there, which is so so very exciting. But, oh, but I, I appreciate the heck out of being on these programs because. You know, it does help promote whatever it is that we think is important. And, mm-hmm. 
but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy these, and um, I just think it's great. I mean, I, it's 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 an opportunity for me, and and uh, I think I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you the best part of it is I don't have to stop for a commercial any place. So um, <laughs> I, I, I am very frustrated by that. You just get going and it's, oops, we have a, a heartbreak here for whatever. Um, but I want to go back to the Kensington Runestone. I picked out three, um, three of the, the, diff- the, the, the items that you have really gotten into that, that to me say, there were people here before Columbus. They were here before that. They were here way before. And it's the, the Backcrete Stone and the Tucson Lead Artifacts. Oh, yeah. Um, those are the, those <clears throat> that, let's see, the, the, artif- the Tucson Lead Artifacts, the Backcrete Stone, the Kensington Rune Stone, the Newport Tower, of course, is connected to the Rune oh, Stone. Yeah. So those are kind of one and the same. But those are the crown jewels of... Of, uh, of pre-Columbian artifacts that really rewrite the whole history. And they span, as you said, a really a huge amount of time. I mean, 1362 was only about 650 years ago. That wasn't that long ago. But you start looking at the Tucson-led artifacts that are, you know, 8th, 9th century, and then the Bad Creek Stone, yeah. which goes back to the 1st century. I mean, my gosh, that, that those three right there are irrefutable um, found in a pristine archaeological context and absolutely bulletproof as far as authenticity goes and 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 three distinctly different time periods my gosh <laughs> what does that tell us and and you can be sure those aren't the only ones and it, it tells you oh, yeah. people were coming here regularly right oh yeah well what what gets me is that that they they are reminders that this you know so many times in school especially you know there were just a couple of indians wandering around here when columbus and the pilgrims came here and that's not the case at all there were <laughs> empires here there i mean well look at cahokia it, it, oh geez yeah i mean, I mean it, it's I think what gets me is when you talk about ancient history, the, you know, most people's minds go to Greece, Rome, and Egypt. Right. And the reality is we have stuff here in this country that in, in many cases will predate all of them. And oh, it's not taught about in school. Oh, about America's Stonehenge, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And how about the 9,000 years of the copper mines up in Minnesota and Michigan? I mean... Well, exactly, exactly. My gosh, that's exactly right. And, you know, I have to tell you something, Barbara. Um, Just this past week, in fact, last night and today, we had a visitor who is uh, indigenous heritage, Cherokee and Omaha, He's also a Freemason, and mm-hmm. he spent uh, last night with Janet and I, and um, he shared some new research that he's been doing about um, some of the earthworks that Native Americans uh, here um, constructed, and uh, I, I can't give away 
the end of his research, but I will tell you, it is a bombshell. And this is coming from the you know, a person who's a member of of uh, indigenous tribes and, and is initiated in the in, in the Medewin, um society of the natives, and uh, it's it's incredible. It's absolutely stunning. And you know, he he talks with me, talks with Jan and I about you know the Templars and their impact on native ritual. And I I mean mm-hmm. I was just dumbfounded. But uh, to him, it's it's like it's just everyday stuff. Well, that's that's one of the other things I wanted to go into because, um, the, the well, the Templars, you know, I I believe were here. Um, in the 1200s, and then, of course, again in the 1300s, and um, and, it, the, and the 1100s, of, <laughs> and the 11, yeah, they, were, they, they, they started coming here in the middle part of the 12th century. They got frequent fire miles, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but they, they when they came, they brought their rituals, and and I think one thing that was fascinated me that I was not aware of is that. Um, there were initially four degrees to the Blue Lodge, and when when did that fourth degree change, or when was it melded into one of the others, or when 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 did the fourth degree go away? Well, the fourth degree didn't go away. Uh, the fourth degree oh. is the first degree of the Scottish Rite and of the York Rite because oh, okay. the. Um, you know the blue lodge is is today is three degrees um right and then when you go through the the york rite system which terminates as you know being knighted as a knight's templar it builds off of the blue lodge so the first degree of the york rite is the fourth degree and then the fifth degree all the way up to the 13th degree mm-hmm. the number 13 of course is the number of the sacred feminine and then the Scottish Rite, it's 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 basically a degree system of 29 degrees that build off of the Blue Lodge again. So, okay. So the story um, continues, um, if you will. But what's interesting in the Scottish Rite, you know, it's not necessarily chronological. So you you jump around um, in different periods of history that in, you know that. The, the degree stories are, are comprised of. So it's really mm-hmm. fascinating system. And, um, you know, you don't hear much about it until you get involved in it. And But part of what I'm trying to do is help educate people on masonry because, quite frankly, um, I studied Freemasonry and the Templars for 10 years uh, before I decided to become one. And the reason was I was convinced by the evidence that it was something I wanted to be part of. I believed it was something that was very good. And, you know, again, I I always go back to people everywhere in this country. They talk about our founding fathers and what great men they were and Mm -hmm. uh, and our Constitution. You know, you hear it all the time, right? But do these people realize they were all Masons? And I ask the question, does the fact that these men were were masons does that have anything to do with their greatness? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> now, were they oh, perfect yeah. people? No, but I can tell you one thing: 
if we had more Masons in government today on both sides of the aisle, we would have a higher probability of people making decisions in the interest of the greater good than the personal good. That I can guarantee you. Um, we just don't have many Masons anymore, and um, I think I think that needs to change. Well, a long time ago, I um, had Robert Sullivan on the show, and he had written a book on the Arch of Enoch. And in order to understand what he was talking about, um, I had to learn as much as I could about Freemason. My grandfather was a Freemason, and, um, of course, he had passed away. And, you know, why is it they die before you get interested in what they're involved in? It's not fair. <laughs> Well, so, no, it's not, so, sir, Barbara, because I didn't find out my dad was a Mason until the day after he died, and they cut the ring off his finger and gave it to me, and I, I didn't know what it was. And I asked my mom, oh, oh your dad was a Mason. He was a Shriner. I'm like, what the, heck, what the heck's a Shriner? I had no idea. <laughs> well, I in in my studies, and I ended up calling the, the, the Grand Lodges and talking to lovely men who were just, so willing to help me understand stuff. It was right. just wonderful. Um, but I found in, in all of the reading and the work I did with it that Freemasonry is, is a wonderful way for men to study not only history but spirituality and, yep. and incorporate it into their lives so that they, have, they are better people, they, run, they have better lives, they have better, stronger families. It's, it's a wonderful spiritual place to be. And in so many ways, you know, mostly this, the spiritual field is left to women and woo-woo people. But but the reality is... <laughs> the woo-woo people, I love it. I like woo-woo yeah. people. Don't pick on them. I'm not. I'm one of them. Um, I know. I'm just but, teasing. <laughs> but but, but it's, it's a wonderful place for, for men to to study and learn without interference from outside really you know the spirituality how it affects themselves their lives and how how they can you know grow with it and become better people and and be better for their communities and and it's a fabulous organization and um, no you're 100% I, right and that's when basically i mean the simplest answer to the question what is masonry about that's what we say is it makes um, good men, better men, and uh, and it's really true. And you know, I mean, the, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and and this may not sound very, uh, but I guess people can understand it. It's like when you go out in society, and I meet people, and there's a lot of wonderful people out there, and there's certainly a lot of wonderful people that are not not Freemasons. But when mm-hmm. I meet a brother in a crowd of people. There is a, a, a automatically a certain level of understanding that I have. I already know about this person. And I have to say my level of trust automatically is at a higher level than anyone else I would meet. And it doesn't mean that in the end it's going to be that way. There's certainly brothers that have, uh, you know, uh, don't live by, um, you know, the Masonic principles as, as good as they should. But... By and large, when I meet those those people, they're intelligent, they're uh, caring, they're thoughtful, considerate, um, and they will 
they will defend me and, and help a brother in distress at any time, as I would. So there is something about that that's different than just the everyday person out there. And, you know, some people might look down upon that, but I, I, it's true. Well, it you know, it, it is, <clears throat> you know, what what do they say? For those with eyes to see and ears to hear. It's, right. It's... It's it's a level of understanding, of intuition, of of resonance, of energy, however you want to put it, but it is definitely there. Um, I wanted to go into also Duluth, which um, be, because of what he brought to the Indians and how he integrated into the Indians and how he was able to unite Indian tribes in a very unique way and how how their initiations are so much like the Freemasons. Well, they're not they're not so much like they're they're virtually identical and that's I mean there's 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 differences of course but the basic the basic uh essence of the ritual is identical and um we talked about that um with Taylor this this indigenous friend that we we just met and we we're now great friends in fact before i did this interview jan and i went for a walk um about an hour before we uh got on the air here and we took we called him again he just was here this morning and yesterday and earlier last week and we talked about the rituals and um he's also reading my books right now and he said yeah that's exactly how we do it and it's the same thing so it, now, it's, the- it's incredible now, the Duluth Duluth was here in oh man, sixteen seventy nine. Yeah. So he, and and I think what what most people don't understand also is that when these early people came to this country, they they did not come with guns blazing. They came as explorers. They came to put down land markers. They they came. They they were friends with the indigenous people, and yes. and you know they they came in peace. Literally, they really came in peace, and and they look. So they were looking for a new home. They mm-hmm. they uh, they had to get out of you know the 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 fugitive Templars. I mean, my gosh, they were outlawed. The yeah. the crown was hunting them. The church wanted to wanted to burn them, and you also have to remember. The plague was ravaging Europe at this time, and my gosh, who wants to stay there? I mean, <laughs> they had every yeah. reason to come over here, and and you know they shared this common ideology that uh, with the indigenous people here, and it was it was a perfect match for them to work together. And just because they didn't tell people what they were doing doesn't mean it didn't happen. They had every reason to keep it quiet. Um, and you know, of course, this somehow becomes evidence that they weren't here. You, you can't prove a negative with with nothing. <laughs> yes, but what was what's fabulous is the, the the spiritual aspect to Freemasonry blended so perfectly with the Native American philosophy of the Great Spirit. And I mean, there was they 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 were synchronistic. There was there was no debate any place. It was like, of course it goes this way, and of course this is yes, that's what I feel, and that's what I believe too. So that, and and Duluth, 
at, at some point he 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 was trying to unite certain tribes that were at war with one another and it was amazing he encouraged intermarriage so that you know that that the there would be ties and connections right. between the different tribes yep. which which is well it's 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 exactly what the egyptians did well and, that's what and, the essene did that's their tradition look the mm-hmm. the the true templar tradition has had many names throughout history and part of how they they consolidated power and kept alliances was through intermarriage this wasn't a novel concept and by the way the natives were doing it before they came this was a tradition mm-hmm. that they also embraced they didn't you know i mean they certainly encouraged it but this wasn't i don't i don't believe it was anything that he brought to them it was something he encouraged that would help particular conflicts but i mean cultures have been you know using intermarriage as a way to find uh peace for a long time that's that's not a new concept but like you well, said it goes back to the egyptians and beyond sure look at the merovingians look at look at the the royal families in europe i mean they're constantly were constantly um solidifying um treaties and such with marriages of 8 year old children sometimes but um, you know, keeping bloodlines alive, and bloodlines are important. And Absolutely. They are, they are to the Templars as well. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I am so amazed at the, the similarities between their initiations into, into the higher levels of, of the tribe being so... Um, synchronistic with with the freemasons initiations and and what what they go through it um it, it is amazing that, that there well, is such you, a recognition you know something, barbara i mean as as i hear you talk about it and as you and i are having a conversation here it it seems so natural and it it just makes so much sense right that the templars mm-hmm. had this so much in common with them at such a such a fundamental level at such a deep level of of their spirituality and their being it just makes sense right but what yeah. doesn't make sense to me and you know i'll be honest with you i don't know i've never i i, I don't i don't believe i certainly don't believe i'm the first person to think about this but i'm the first person i know of to talk about these two having this common ideology and it, it made so much sense to me for a long time. I never heard anybody talk about it. And when I first brought it up 15 years ago and longer ago, people looked at me like, what? <laughs> and then I had, to, I had to explain, you know, the whole, you know, Venus and, and, and the feminine aspect of the Godhead and the hooked X and all that. And it made sense to them, but it was still such a foreign concept. But now it's like the more the more – indigenous people that I interact with it just be it's it's like it's second nature now and you're talking about it and more people are talking about it and not too long ago it was like people's heads would start spinning whenever I brought it up but to me it just seems perfectly natural if all if all what I'm saying yeah I do but you know now that you mention it of course all of the initiations and the levels and everything um, are secret so at some point Right, either, 
An Indian had to be initiated into the Masonic, or the Masonic had to be initiated into the Indian for somebody for the light bulb to go on on somebody's head. Yeah. Well, and and you know now that I've now that I've I've been a Mason for a few years now, it just makes all the sense in the world. And and again, meeting people like Taylor and and uh, Chief Black Eagle with the Wampanoag tribe who. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was at the Newport Tower, and he came out there, and we're good friends, and he's just a terrific guy. And I asked him, I said, Black Eagle, who made this tower? Talking about the Newport Tower. He just looked at me, and he laughed, and he said, Prince Henry Sinclair and the Templars when they came through here. <laughs> he just <laughs> flat out said it. And I said, would you go on camera? He said, fire up your camera. And he said it again. And, you know, it's just time this information came out it's it's the real story behind the history of the founding of this country and quite frankly it's it's like it's like a story that happened historically and when we talk about these other artifacts we've already talked about this just happened yesterday and and it's been hidden it's been suppressed you think the church wants to talk about this heck no (laughs) the templars pretended to be catholic for for 200 years, and they almost, I mean, their goal was to, to overtake Christendom and bring it yeah. back to the true Gnostic Christianity that they embraced, not this Roman Christianity, you know, patriarchal thing that's been the scourge of the world for 2,000, 1,700 years. And I'm sorry to say yeah. that, but it's true. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, and... You know, it's just, I mean, even the founding of them with the supplicants and then the Cistercians and then the Templars and then um, the the Freemasons. And, I I mean, there has been many different generations of the same philosophy, which I think is fascinating. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's It's an ideology. It's a philosophy. It's a way of life, and it's an ancient way of life, and and um, and it's um, you know it's 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 a beautiful ideology, and it 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 honors and venerates the feminine aspect of the Godhead. In fact, if you're going to elevate one above the other, they elevate the feminine, and this is this is absolutely uh, goes against church doctrine. And it's ridiculous. It's just it's just nonsense the way that they they've treated women and and um, uh, well I don't have to go into it. I think we all know what's what's <laughs> going on and and it's you know it's it was a dysfunctional institution from the get go and we're seeing the fallout of that dysfunctionality and and the harm that it's 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 done more harm <laughs> to people than than save people and. And, and well, really, it, they it, borrowed they borrowed all the symbols of the tradition uh, oh, yeah. that existed long before Roman Christianity. And um, you know, I just think it's important that people are exposed to, you know, you know, you know what it boils down to, Barbara. Here's what it boils down to. It's really very simple. These organized religions of 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 all faiths, mm-hmm. basically. They don't want people to to know that you can have a relationship with your deity, your God, whoever it is, whatever you call it, 
all by yourself. Yeah. You don't need a conduit to get to creator. And I think the more people that realize that and, and look for, you know, the proper guidance of how mm-hmm. to um, to do that, um, it just, it's just going to create a better society, a better world. Well, that's, that's, organized that's, that's the dirty little secret they don't want you to know. Organized religions have become political organizations <laughs> more than a spiritual one. And well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the problem. The, the, the monarchs of Europe, the, the monarchies, would, would legitimize, you know, the religious institutions, and they would, they would you know, um, legitimize the monarchy. And, and, and I mean, they were ju- it was an incestuous relationship. One was feeding the other, and they, be- mm-hmm. they just became this dominant force that crushed the people. I mean, it was horrible. And that is what the Templars were fighting against. And that's why they came over here and passed the obligation to the Founding Fathers. Last I checked, we fought a revolution against a monarchy, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that mm-hmm. what the revolution was all about? Yes, and in as far our as I know, yeah. And is freedom of religion. I like to say freedom from religion, but that's probably not mm-hmm. politically correct. <clears throat> probably not. I mean, do you see the parallels? It's so obvious <laughs> what's oh, yeah. going on here, but I can't believe that nobody talks about this. It's, it's just amazing. Well, it's because some people take their religion so seriously that they can't even listen to, you know, something that might mellow it slightly and make it more comfortable for them. Um, I I really, years and years ago, it was kind of like, why do I have to talk to somebody to talk to God when I can just talk to God myself? Exactly. You know, it, it, <laughs> exactly. it just doesn't make any sense hey, to me. I got, a, I got a funny story for you. You're going to like this. So okay. my uh, family a few years ago, oh, God, I guess this is, <clears throat> I think Grant was still in high school. My God, he's been out of college now for a few years. So this might be 10 years ago. And we were out in the Black Hills somewhere, you know, driving around. And we went in, <clears throat> I, went, I remember we went into this canyon. And I had recently been over to Europe, and I had been going through the Gothic cathedrals, and I think I was in Chartres and Notre Dame, and, and you know, I just was really into studying the the sacred feminine architecture of these of these Gothic cathedrals. And I was talking to him about that. My son now is is a structural engineer, so you know, he finds you know that that engineer engineering aspects of these Gothic cathedrals to really be incredible. And I remember we were just talking about, you know, philosophically. And he says, "Well, well, Dad, you know, you know, why do you think the natives are so so cool?" He said, "They they never built amazing structures like the Gothic cathedrals." He said, "You of all people should should you know understand that." And I just looked at Grant, and we were driving down this canyon, and there were these beautiful bluffs on both sides of us, <laughs> and the sun was setting, and it was just you know magical. And I looked at my son, I said, Grant, imagine a native standing on the top of that bluff, looking out over this valley, and the sun is setting. I said, that is his temple. 
and he didn't have to lift a finger. (laughs) Grant just sat there and kind of went, well, well. (laughs) (laughs) He got the point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, today most people don't recognize the beauty of nature. They they look for it in, in, you know, um, concrete. They look for it in buildings. They they look to, in many ways, downplay the the the, the sustenance of our planet by um, I- ignoring it and and not not blending with it, but overpowering it, killing it with pesticides, and and chopping down the trees. And yeah. it's it's a sin. You know, well, you know. Yeah, look, it's it's. it's I mean, I, I I have to be honest with you. When I look around and I see what's happening in in politics today, and 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 let's be honest, right now it's one side more than the other. But um, why in hell would you even think of taking a risk and gambling with your home? With your planet, we live here. Yeah, you protect it. You take care of it. You 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 manage it. You do everything you can to protect it. it it's just it's just mind boggling to me what's happening, um, and for what? For the you know the 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 industrial <laughs> machine that's driven by oil. And we don't yeah. need to be oil dependent anymore. The technology exists, but it's so ingrained in the, the upper echelon of our society that we're killing ourselves well, for what? And, and, for money? And, and, <laughs> and Tesla had free energy for us. I mean, it was there. We didn't have to do anything. He, he was all set to give free energy to everybody. Nobody would have no, an electric bill No, we're not going to do that. Anymore. You're not going to take away my gravy train. My, you yeah. know, I mean, there's too many people that, and too many institutions where, that are wrapped up in it. That yeah, where uh, do we put the meter? No meter. It's free. Yeah. I mean, and the technology is still there. You know. Well, there's other could, technologies too <clears throat> that oh, people sure. aren't aware of that that costs nothing, and um, it doesn't pollute, and it's just endless. But you know, people want want to have that gravy train. They want that money. They want that power, and they don't realize that they're they're bleeding our world and they're killing us. And oh yeah, no, it they is. They just don't it see it that very, way. Very, very sad. I, I just what I don't um, understand is why do you take the risk with your planet? Why do you, you know, why do you? I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, it's because it's because they're going to settle Mars, and they got it all set up. They're they're already going up there with spaceships and everything, and and the elite are going to go up there and thumb their nose at us. And you know something? If the if the elite got off the planet, I think we'd be a lot better off. I have no interest in going to Mars, thanks. No, no I don't interest. either. I, I wasn't counting you or me in the elite, by the way. So. <laughs> there's, no, there's no plants there. There's no water. There's no great geology. There might be some good geology, probably not great geology, because they have no atmosphere, and the atmosphere and water is what creates the amazing geological wonders that we see in this world. I, I, who wants to go? I'm not going. Forget it. Well, <laughs> I'll there give are up my seat gladly. I'll stay here and 
take my chances. Well, I want to I want to get back to the journey of the Freemasons because in the in the 1200s they in the 1100s they they went and they dug at the Temple of Solomon. Yeah. And they found something. And they found um, a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. That part of the that part of the Cremona document mm-hmm. is correct. That is correct. Well, we presume it's correct. I mean, that that information is what's in the Cremona document. That is that is there, and 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 they chronicle it in great detail, and it's it's incredible. So so then they brought it over to this. They brought something over to this country to hide. They brought it to Back, New what the, what the Cremona document tells us is that they dug mm-hmm. under the temple. Well, actually, they didn't, didn't dig under the temple mount. They dug under the south wall, and yeah. they discovered a tomb. And in this tomb were ossuaries covered with lambskin. And in the lambskin, there was a number of things, but in one of the boxes there were scrolls, mm-hmm. 12 scrolls. And, and part of what was in those scrolls was knowledge about additional scrolls that had been brought over to the land of Antiora, to North America, back in the first century. Okay. And hidden here. And about six decades after those documents were found, the Templars um, assigned, essentially, Ralph de Sutterly to lead um, a caravan of six ships to come over here and recover those scrolls. And that's really what the story of the Cremona document is. And they were successful in getting some of the scrolls, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, what happened to the rest of them? That story is not told in the book that you and I were talking about earlier. That's some of the information that was withheld. Okay. And that's information that will be revealed in my book. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so... So, and it's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> when is this book being published? Well, it's a, it's. I'm going to have books in my hand here probably in a week and a half or so, and um, it's being published by the one. same people that did Hooked X and Akhenaten, uh, okay. North Star Press, um, in Minnesota. Here, it's a local local company that does a great job. They hired. <clears throat> a, a special editor to, to edit my book, and she was wonderful. And I have to tell you a funny story about her because she's such a wonderful person. She's a really good editor. And, you know, sometimes people are a little bit, that dynamic between writer and editor can sometimes be a little tenuous. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, because, I mean, everything I write I think is beautiful, Right. And then other sure. people read it, and, and they like it for the most part, but sometimes I'm not so good. You know, I, make a, I, I write something that's dumb or, you know, just the way I phrase it, just my grammar is bad or whatever, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so she, she uh, was a brand-new editor, and uh, she wrote, the, after she went through it the first time, she wrote me a, an email and said, okay, um, we need to do this, this, and this, and... I think we should restructure that and move some chapters around and, you know, just sort of editor stuff, right? 
And then she sent me a separate email. And she goes, I know that this may not be appropriate, but um, I had to tell you, I loved your book. I learned so much. Um, It it forced me to go and research things that I never knew anything about. And by the Mm -hmm. way, I'm taking my family to see the Kensington Runestone this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is so cool. Yeah, so anyway, we did four more rounds, and uh, it's, it's, it'll be here, like I said, a week, week and a half. Wow. Well, it's definitely on my list then to, to read immediately. But so, so, so these guys got someone, took them back to Europe, and what happened to the ones that got taken back to Europe? Well, that's a great question. Who knows? I'm sure they're sitting in the archives somewhere. <clears throat> but I mean, this happened, you know, in the in the in the end of the 12th century, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of time has gone by. I mean, this is you know uh, almost 800 years have gone by, so a lot can happen in that time. Um, we know that the Cremona document ended up at the Vatican, or at least. Parts of it did, because the Cremona document isn't just one document. It's actually a compendium of of, uh, multiple documents. And we know that when de Sutterly came back with the scrolls that he was able to get, he ended up um, in Suborga, Italy, where he reported to the Grand Master, and they took his deposition. And that's really what the Cremona document is. It's a deposition of his testimony of his trip. And I remember when I was reading it and I was asking questions of Don, the guy that, that owns all that material now. Mm-hmm. I said, God, he remembers all these details. I wonder if he kept any notebooks. And sure enough, as I was reading it, he talks about he wrote letters, basically journals, chronicling, you know, what he did. And uh, that's why the document is, is so detailed. And um so where it is today, where those scrolls are today, who knows? I can guarantee you this. Um, the Templars are Cistercians. The Cistercians mm-hmm. probably got those documents. Well, he, he was at Suborga. He was at a Cistercian abbey at, at Suborga. So <clears throat> he definitely was, you know, they ended up with the Cistercians. The Cistercians had, in their monasteries, they had uh, a room called a scriptorium. And in that scriptorium, all certain monks did all day every day was recopy old manuscripts. So I'm certain that those documents that they brought back were copied and disseminated for safekeeping. If there's one thing that the Cistercians and the Templars um, are masters at, um, and that's not putting all their eggs in one basket, that's why I Mm -hmm. find, you know, the show Curse of Oak Island to be laughable. Like the Templars would leave all their treasure there for these dopes to find. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. I don't think they're going to find anything, to tell you the truth. And and well, I've been look, if they've proven anything it, after yeah. six years of this ridiculousness, they've proven that there's nothing there, right? Yeah. And it, 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 it does has it ever been brought point. up that the treasure might have um, already been found, or better yet, like, that maybe it was moved? Or, he, I think, or here's an idea. I think, yeah. Here's an idea. What if, 
it was a decoy site, a site all along. Could if have been. it was, because it worked, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the only the only people that I think could have had the the um, technology to actually have built that were the Templars. Well, so if if it, they haven't, you know, if look, was, there has been zero evidence. I've been to Oak Island twice, long before yeah. this show ever, ever aired. And I can tell you, I've seen nothing. There are no flood tunnels. There's no, you know, levels going down in the ground. That's just, it's just nonsense. None of that exists. The flood tunnels, Oak Island is, is a glacial morained island on the ocean. When you dig mm-hmm. below the water table, you know what happens? You get flooded. Water fills in. It's called the water table. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> That's true. Anyway. That's, yeah, no. Well, I mean, did you ever think about that? Well, the more the more I've watched it, the more I've read about it, the more I think, you know, great story. But, you know, they, they talk about the curse of Oak Island. I tried to find where the curse was. There is no they curse. They made that up. Yeah. That is completely, that was made up by the production company. That is complete fiction. And by the way, since they started that show, four Mm -hmm. people have died. Well, yeah, one of the original guys just died um, last season. Well, that was Danny Kinship. I knew Danny (laughs) quite well. I spent two days with him. And uh, let's just say he's a character. Yes. He seems to be, and and yeah, you know. We'll leave it. At, we'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> well, it's millions of dollars have gone into all of this, and and the uh, one Zagina brother is now um, branching out to do the the mystery, the the curse of of Southern Gold or something, and and you know, lost trainloads of gold from from the Confederacy and stuff. So. I mean, they're making occupations out of it for sure, but um, I just, yep. I just well, kind just of understand something. Mm-hmm. Television is a business, and they are making they're making so much money. They don't care what they have to do to keep that show going. It's a gravy train. It's all about the money, and uh, just that's what it's about. It's the same thing in my business, but. Um, there are certain things that I just will not do. And mm-hmm. and I think people recognize that. We don't have to do silly stuff to get people to watch. I mean, we have fun, and there's a certain entertainment aspect to the shows that we make, but um, I never lie to the audience. I don't plant things. Um, we just don't. Well, one, th- one thing that I greatly respect is that if something's a hoax, you say it. You know, and, and you know... We can go on the journey with you, and you finally say, "Well, this is a hoax. This isn't. This isn't authentic." No, it's and, not uh, real. And you know, it's um, sometimes people get mad at me. They say, "Well, you know, I thought you." And and I just say to them, "I go, look, nobody wants it to be real more than me. I would love it, but it, yeah. if it's not, it's not. And I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna lie about it. I'm gonna call it as I see it." And and in my mind, when when I can truly say with certainty that something is authentic, 
you could bet your bottom dollar that I've, I've exhausted everything to make sure that what I say is true. And nobody's been able to prove me wrong on anything that I've claimed to be real yet because they can't, because they aren't fake. <laughs> but if they are, I'll say it. Hey, well, let me yeah, ask you a question. Did you, sure. did you see the second episode about the alien artifacts? I did. <clears throat> what did you think? Well, I was sure it was a fraud. You know, I, I respect the respect you gave everybody, but I was sure it was a fraud from the very beginning. <laughs> now, wait, not the you first You mean when one, I was the, in the in Veracruz? Yeah, those, those I knew yeah. were fraudulent to begin with. Um, well, but, how did but you know not, that? Well, um, let me see. Where do I start? I'm a psychic, so I do know things. Second of oh, all, okay. I've seen, well, I've seen and the UFO. I'm not trying to punch you out. I'm just I'm curious because you speak no. with such conviction. And, Absolute uh, conviction. The ones in okay. the cave could not possibly have been. Um, first of all, um, it, 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 especially that one that was covered with the little gray men, that, was, that, that looked like a Petoskey stone more than anything else. And um, it, it was sort of like it was a Petoskey stone with heads. It was ridiculous. Now, the artifact that was brought in by the by the gentleman that was the um, cowboy looked like a cowboy. Yep, that you the, uh, Mark, you <clears throat> Mark Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Now that one, I I was positive was authentic. You know, even before you got the carbon dating back, because it uh, first of all, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't over the over the hill. It was it was a very it was simple yet elegant, and I think yep. that that's the kind of artwork they did that was respectful. It, there was there was obviously to me um, it was there was a, it was a religious experience to create it, and therefore yep. it had that kind of feeling to it. Well, so, there was a lot of eff- there was a lot of effort that was put into it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it had the um, the inlays. I mean, that's. I mean, obviously, that's how we dated it. But that's a process that that takes effort and and care and and you know, there, like you said, there's something sacred about making these artifacts. Now, now I can't say as a scientist 100% that they are authentic. I still have to investigate the possibility that that glue could have been faked. But having said that. Um, I don't know what store you go to to buy 9,000-year-old glue, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there yeah. might be a way that you could fake that, um, and mm-hmm. I, I still need to do that work. But I will tell you this, um, I, 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 <laughs> you know, uh, a few years ago, if you asked me about what's depicted on those artifacts, I would have just said, well, not so much. Um, my thinking, my thinking is changing. Well, when when you were comparing the dirt from the cave they were found in with the dirt that was found on them, I mean, how simple does it get? You know, it wasn't even <laughs> the same dirt. Well, I didn't even I mean, have to take it out of the bag for crying out loud. And they, <laughs> but you know what? To, to their credit, they accepted it without hesitation. They said, mm-hmm. okay. You tell us it's a fake, and I and I got to tell you, you know, I don't know how it came across to the, to people watching, but those guys, I don't think that they were 
playing a hoax on me. I think they found somebody else's practical joke. I really do. And if they were the ones that perpetrated it, they fooled me. They were really well, good I, guys. They I, were. Yeah I, yeah, I would totally agree with you. I think that those those were created to be discovered in another 10 years so that they would, or, would have weathered or a little whatever. bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. So, and, I mean, and, uh, but it, you know what? It was. <laughs> I'll never forget when we were filming that, and uh, they had to be that one artifact, and I looked at it, and I kind of went, oh, this is interesting. So I quietly <laughs> walked over to our uh, producer who was there, and I said, Pat, take a look at this. And he, he didn't see it. And then I pointed it out to him, and he went, oh, my God. And I said, do you want me to point this out? He said, yeah. And I said, I'll do it. <laughs> and, and so, but I, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, if I wanted, I thought maybe it would embarrass him or it would, it would cause a, a conflict, you know. No, they seemed very genuine. They really did. Um, they were. I they think absolutely they, were. hundred percent. I think they got and, uh, hoaxed. You know, well, I, I mean, there have been you know a... what? They found something, and they didn't know what it was. Nobody else, they hadn't talked to anyone else, and they said, you know, what they said was, you know, we trust whatever you tell us. We'll believe you, and that's why we called you. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can tell someone um, you don't have to rub it, rub their nose in it or make assumptions and, like, oh, you guys are trying to fool me or something like that. I think you can you can handle it tactfully, and and it, I walked away and and we're friends, you know, so well, I, I'm they, happy about I that. I mean, they they had value as paperweights or doorstops. I mean, you know, they they definitely had value in that aspect of them. But as far as being ancient or anything like that, no way. Um, well, you know, and and the other thing is. You know, I have some of the artifacts. I've, I've gotten I've gotten some from Mark. And mm-hmm. when I got them from him, I said, Mark, I'm not buying these because they're ancient artifacts that, um, you know, <laughs> prove that aliens interacted with humans. I said, I, I just like them as artwork, you know, yeah. as, in, as indigenous artwork. And, and, and that's what I'm, that's what I paid for them. And, and I, I just love them as beautiful art pieces, and if they happen to be, you know, old ancient artifacts, that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. But that's not that's not what I I didn't I didn't acquire them for that reason. I mean, there are some of the some of the really old, really ancient stuff. Um, I think the one thing that 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 you know I would love to see is some of. Um, Schliemann's gold that he just when he discovered Troy I would love to see some of that I mean the workmanship and the art the artistry in some right. of these artifacts is just so amazing and it's thousands of years old it's beautiful and it's absolutely beautiful and that I uh, you know I mean some of those artifacts that you saw on the show I just think they're just cool I just I just like them and I don't care what they are. Um, I just think they're beautiful. And I, you know what? And it could be a situation where some of them are authentic and they're, they're thousands of years old, and some could be modern. I, I, mm-hmm. think it's, it's, I don't think it's an all-or-nothing proposition. I think that, you know, the ancient people who made these artifacts thousands of years ago, 
those traditions and that 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 of, of making that type of art um, doesn't necessarily have to disappear. I mean, it can continue on right up to this day, right? Masonry did. And why can't oh, you know this yeah. tradition of making these these uh, art you know these these art pieces with this particular iconography on it? I mean, that's certainly plausible. Oh, absolutely, and. And actually, the runes, the rune stones, and, and the runes are are beautiful too in and of themselves. So is so is the ogham. You know, when you when yes. you have, I mean, it it it's there, there is a beauty in in all aspects of all of these ancient cultures. And well, look at the Egyptians. I mean, oh their God. hieroglyphs are just, you know, something. I I, I keep looking at at the hieroglyphs, thinking they had to either use a laser. Or a Dremel to do this, and yeah. n- neither of which were available at that particular time frame. I just, I just, how, I but just, how do we? Well, how do we know that? I think well, I think we're true. making assumptions that there was technology that couldn't have existed at that time, and I'm not saying that it did exist. I'm just saying I think it's a mistake to to you know throw down absolutes because uh, the more I learn about some of these ancient cultures and alchemy and some of the abilities of these people, <laughs> I think we'd be shocked at what they were able well, you, to do. You saw a sarcophagus that had was polished and the only way you knew that it could be done was with a diamond drill. Well, and you look at these in, granite sarcophagus and they are... Yeah. I mean, how do you, how can they? Po- the only thing you can polish them with is something that's harder, <clears throat> and to get the polish, it's really diamond is the only way they're going to do it. Well, they did have diamonds, but what a waste of a diamond! Sorry, but holy mackerel! Well, but most diamonds um, that come out of mines are not the brilliant diamonds that you see on, you know, engagement rings. A lot of them are very small. They're low quality, and they. I mean, we use diamond grit in industri- for industrial purposes all the time. That's where most mm-hmm. of the diamonds go. You, they, they're not beautiful, <laughs> and sometimes no, they're, they're just not. so small you can barely see them. And and those they use for, like I say, industrial purposes. Well, Back then I'm, and today. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I I did want to. I wanted to get also to. Um, I want to get back to the Templars because Prince Henry came over here. Was he looking for something or was he looking for a location or what was he looking for? What he was doing was he was doing multiple things. He was during his time, remember his father and his grandfather and probably his grandfather's father, were coming over here as part of the mission to establish a sanctuary here where they could live uh, in peace, basically. And Uh um, the natives um, worked with them. Uh, Prince Henry brought a number of treasures over. He hid them in multiple places. He did not hide them on Oak Island. Um, (laughs) and, And the natives made an agreement with them that they would guard the treasures. Now, remember, treasure is really the key question. What is the treasure? To some people, treasure is gold, silver, jewels, 
and and things like that. But um, to the Templars, you certainly needed currency because eventually you're going to have to interact with Europeans, and that's what they understand. So they brought gold and silver over for sure. But they brought relics. They brought documents. And they brought human remains of people that they venerated. Mm-hmm. And other things. Oh. Um, so... You're not going to dig down <laughs> 100 feet, 150 feet, 200 feet into the into the under the wall. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just nonsense. <laughs> um, and eventually, they moved them farther west as settlement happened, and the natives were were helped them. And I've heard them tell these stories. And one of the things that I figured out, which is one of the big reveals in my new book is not only is one of the pieces of the inscription that is real history, um, the fact that it's a land claim, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's the fact that it's um, directions to a place that has stuff. You're going to drive so many people to the bookstores, it's unbelievable. Um, well, no, I'm dead serious. I am absolutely no. serious. Um, because I, the I, natives have told us there's a secret vault uh-huh. in this country. And the runestone gives you directions to it. Well, I think, for me, the greatest treasure that they brought over here and left here somehow somewhere is wisdom and well the scrolls that's what's in the scrolls that's what's in the scrolls mathematics geometry astronomy yeah um how to drink the sea interesting let me throw this at you what is okay. what is the one treasure that people seem to be fixated on, have always been fixated on as part of the Templar treasure? What is that one oh, thing? E- either the Holy the Holy Grail, probably. Or the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> the other. Yes. The Ark of the Covenant. What if I told you that the secret of the Ark is isn't where it is, it's but how it to is. make one. Yeah. Well, it certainly was an amazing weapon. <laughs> Who said there's just one arc? <laughs> yeah, that's, I've already that's told true. You, I've already told so, you that we know that there were at least two. <laughs> one I in the Sanctum Sanctorum and one in the, in the Ninth Arch in the Secret Vault. No, I I was under the impression there were three. One was in South America, one was in um, Egypt. I'm not sure where the third one was. At there's least that's what that. I've read. Well, <clears throat> well, there's more than that. But anyway, it just goes to show you that, that there's a lot more going on than people think. Well, and my hope is actually, 
you know, if there are directions to how to make one, that the governments never get a hold of it because the 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 first thing that governments do when they get any piece of new or ancient technology is to weaponize it. And, of course. Or and, if they can't that, weaponize it, they just bury it. Yeah. So that you know, so that they're that that nobody can have it but them. Or in the case of a certain farmer in Arizona who discovered monoatomic gold, um, and he tried to apply for a patent, the government nearly 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 killed him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not beneath them, and and they've no. done it before. Look what they did to Tesla. Yep. I, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's just it's so it's. I would love truth to come out, but if the truth that is as I believe there, it would it would absolutely, not in a bad way, um, destroy the foundation of religion, which is well, fine with me. Religion is is. Um problem is is that you know you once once you you classically condition people i mean the minute they come out of the womb is when it starts right and mm-hmm. if you if you put a certain belief system into a, a child's head by the time they're six years old it's there for good and you know even people who call themselves recovering catholics or whatever <laughs> um they were i mean essentially it's radicalization and it just doesn't ever leave them. It, there's always a part of them that, that still has that. And it's just tragic. And I look back on my own life. My dad was a Mason. He never took us to church. We didn't do anything, any of that. I never mm-hmm. had one second of that ever put into my head. And I thank my parents profusely for, for not doing that to me. And I've met so many people who um, are filled with, riddled with guilt because of their religious teachings. And there's just no reason for it. It's not necessary, especially women. I mean, it's 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 terrible. It's just awful. Well, and, yeah. And, but, uh, but, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, it, and, and I, I call myself a very spiritual person, but re, I haven't found a religion that fits me. So I am just spiritual. I'm not religious. But, you know when you when you look at life and and you know the 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 things to live by are there they're common sense it isn't it isn't a law handed down from a mountaintop it's kindness it's it's generosity it's compassion it's love i mean what's wrong with just those why do you have How to about just treat people the way you want to be treated yeah. Basic. Is it the golden rule? Basic stuff. There's no magic to it. And just, nope. you know, I mean, you, you, I mean, just, I mean, if, I mean, if worse comes to worse, just go by how you feel about what you do, right? When you, when you do something kind to a person and you, you give something unconditionally, whether it's a thing or it's your time or it's your knowledge, and you see that person respond in a positive way, it makes you feel good. And you know what? When the opportunity comes, that person's going to want to give that back to you. 
I mean, this is just basic things that we all know, but do we do, we do it? Well, or you know, it's not, one, not, it's not, one not, thing to know it. It's another thing to do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think enough people do what they should. Well, it, it's kind of like a, a long time ago I wrote something, and I'm not sure it's someplace on my website, but I have no idea where it is, but it, it basically said that you could be a parrot or a prophet. You know, you could you could do you could quote chapter and verse to people un- until you're blue in the face, but right. it doesn't mean anything until you have taken it into yourself, made it part of your philosophy, and then shared your philosophy with someone else. Because right. then it be- then you become a prophet. Then then you become someone who is sharing wisdom, putting it out there, saying to other people, you know, take it, make it your own, and then make it even better. And yep. and. It- there are too many parrots in this world and not enough prophets. <laughs> well, I uh I just all I know is is I I uh I try to walk the talk, you know. Mhm. Well, that's that's the important thing. And and you know, that's that's one of the things that I respect so greatly of the Freemasons and and the fact that that they are carrying on a tradition that is centuries old and and they they what what i think is is really fascinating is where did the veneration of the female come in was it with the supplicants the cistercians the templars where did the the it's always been there it's always been there uh unfortunately these days a lot of that has been veiled but I will tell you that the, the, the sacred feminine is, is within masonry. She is veiled, but she is there. And once mm-hmm. you know what to look for, you'll find it. But 90% of the brothers don't see it. And it isn't pointed out to them. Because over the last 150 years, masonry has evolved. And... Um, you know, there, but there, you know, and I don't want to... I'm not trying to put masonry down but like everything else it evolves and changes and uh certain things stay the same but this this outward acknowledgement of the feminine aspects of masonry are just not pointed out i point them out when i talk to people um but you know i mean when we talk about venus People don't understand that is the goddess, the physical manifestation of the goddess in the heavens. That is mm-hmm. her. And it goes back to sacred geometry, the Fibonacci sequence, which is the, the key to life in the universe. And um, people just, um, they, they don't get it. They don't talk about her. And they don't talk about the moon, you know, the, the the 13 synodic cycles of the moon, which corresponds to women's menstrual cycles. That's, mm-hmm. that's why they call her the moon goddess. And the number yeah. 13 is the number of the sacred feminine. It's in Venus. It's in the moon. It's everywhere. And, of course, you know, the church tried to demonize it, right, by moving mm-hmm. against the Templars and made it bad luck Friday. That's BS. It's total BS. <laughs> That was part of their demonizing of the sacred feminine. But mm-hmm. I think that's going away now. I think people realize it's hardly bad luck. It's good luck. 
Oh yeah, and you know, you you mentioned how um, you were you were in the Cistercian Church in Montreal, and the yes. um, you had you found all sorts of different um, symbols there that were signifying the sacred female, yet not oh yeah, you know, not putting out big banners saying, "Hey, hey, look at this." Um, Oh, it, it goes back to what you said before. Those with the eyes to see will see it. Those who do not, that are not initiated, will never see it. And mm-hmm. um, that's 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 just the way it is. I mean, um, that church—it's just everywhere. I mean, and and I have to say, it's so overt. You, I don't know how anyone could miss it. You know, right down to the name, <laughs> Notre Dame de Bon Secours. Notre Dame is. Our Lady, right? Uh-huh. Um, and and it's the only church I've ever seen a tetragrammaton that's actually a trigrammaton. Have of hay, uh-huh. which when translated into Latin letters is E-V-E. <laughs> Eve. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is in your face, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's pretty obvious, but how many people are going to look up those those Hebrew letters and, and figure that out. When was the church constructed? 60, oh, uh, well, that particular church was constructed, I think, uh, in the late 1700s. But the uh, Cistercian or the uh, Sulpician Seminary, which was mm-hmm. the first religious structure that was built there that had a church, was built in the 16, I want to say 1640s. Hmm. It's, it's and it was so interesting amazing. because, yeah, the Sulpicians yeah. went beyond the protection of the French, uh, the French army, and uh, they went to and, and established their uh, seminary at a uh, and their church at uh, what was an ancient uh, native trading ground, and uh, they were worried that they were beyond the protection of the French forces and the. They were just fine. The natives didn't bother them. And at that time, they well, could have. Well, didn't they keep it sacred? I mean, it was a way of keeping the, the, the land sacred by putting something like that there. Right. Well, and, and I think that that ideology they brought, again, you know, you have to remember, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. The Cistercians, the Templars, the Sulpicians at that time, um, who inherited the mantle from the fugitive uh, Templars and Cistercians. Um, they pretended to be Catholic, but but secretly embraced this sacred feminine ideology. And again, if you think about it, um, it's such a perfect and brilliant system. The symbols of the of the of the Roman Catholic Church, you know, the Virgin Mary. I mean, she was. It was easy for the Templars to embrace her, but she was just a mm-hmm. metaphor for their belief in, in uh, the sacred feminine, Mary Magdalene, Isis, the goddess. It's like, great, call her Mary. Great, we love Mary. <laughs> We're just talking about a different Mary. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, that, that's what happened through time. I mean, you know, most of the, the Roman and the Greek and the, and the Norse gods were all the same archetype, just with different names. And, and right. so yep. no reason. No reason to, I mean, but but look what the Catholic Church did. I mean, 
what, one thing I found fascinating was when they they had the crusade to um, to wipe out the Cathars. That the only the only the Albigensian crusade. Yeah, the the only um, uh, crusaders that did not take part were the Templars. Right. That's right. Gee, why was that? <laughs> because they <laughs> essentially were Cathars. And the yeah. ironic thing is that the Cathars were practicing a purer form of Christianity than the church could even imagine. But because they didn't kowtow and do what the church wanted, wipe them out. But the church knew that this was that ancient tradition that was that was the antithesis of what they were about. And they just weren't going to tolerate it. I mean, it was but, horrible. You know, it was just horrible. Men, women, children wiped them all out. It was terrible. Why? Well, and what, because what, they didn't believe. They didn't believe Christianity the, the exact way that we wanted them to. Well, what a joke. That's what happens when a bunch of people sit around and create a religion and then try to make it, you know, sacred. It doesn't work. And to have something that is natural and pure and goes back to nature and 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 there is a duality there. It's not it's not it's not really um it's all about the goddess. No. Yeah. It, it's it's a duality. So that it does it does balance the masculine and the feminine. One does not stay above the other. It is an equal type of thing. That's what the hooked X is supposed to symbolize, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really more about the Trinity which I ask people in my lectures, I say what what is the Holy Trinity? They go, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I ask them, I go, what's the Holy Spirit? And they kind of sit there and go, well, uh, it's the Spirit in you. I'm not really sure. <laughs> mm. And then I say, well, I think of it this way. I go, you've got the Father. you got the Son. Who's missing? Mm-hmm. Mama, right? Yeah. Maybe that's. Maybe that's the Holy Trinity. Gee, that certainly makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> why why yeah, can't they say that? Why can't they say that? Well, I think that that the Church as a whole is is either the Roman Catholic Church um, is is going to have to either revise a lot of stuff or it, it is it is already losing people, um, and and I and I do believe it's. I, I am I am seeing in in my work a lot of people coming away from organized religion and going more into the spirituality and dis- discovering things within themselves which I celebrate because it it means that they are acknowledging the god within themselves and That's right. and and their relationship to everything around them as being a part of themselves so that so that right. you know when you when you cut a tree down a part of you goes with it. I mean the the Indians did that. The Native Americans when they killed something they they asked forgiveness from the animal because they needed the food. You know they never That's hunted right. for sport. They, they, they hunted for survival. They, they paid homage to it and realized that we're all part of this great big thing, all intertwined together. And that's why I say. You know, why do we take, why do we gamble with our home? Why do we treat it the way we do? Why do we tolerate these people in power 
doing what they're doing and not, you know, not passing laws to protect our planet. I mean, it's insane. For what? For more money. To keep the economy growing. Well, at, at what cost? In the end, at what yeah. cost? So, we'll so all of these... So all of these things you're not talking about that are in your book, is there going to be a show on them, or or is is it just we're going to have to just read the book? <laughs> well, the honest truth is I, 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 I don't know the answer to that because, you know, until we get renewed for another season, if that happens, I think we will start – well, if we get another season, I'm – I know we will go into some of these aspects that we've talked about in, in obviously a lot more detail. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said before, this is a tough business. And um, I, I learned after three seasons of America on Earth before that, um, you know, we were the number one show and everything was doing going great and we were gearing up for season four and then they sold the channel. Um, I've learned never to take anything for granted. So until they say yes, we're going. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything, but <laughs> I'm confident that even if for some reason we don't get to do America on Earth again, we will find a way to get this story out on television. It's too important, and there's too many good things. It's it's great content. I mean, it's fantastic content, and uh, somebody's going to want it. Um, we, uh, you know, I think that I think the season that we put together this year of shows. Is, is is the best we've done. I really do. I think I, I, I loved the alien artifact episode. I thought it was great. <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the cave episode that we just did. The scenes with mm-hmm. um, uh, Valerie Still um, were so emotional and so powerful. Um, oh, yeah. Man, you should have. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Every camera person was crying. Everybody was crying when she was looking at that book. Oh, and, that um, had to be powerful, yeah. It was just, it was amazing. And um, she's such a wonderful woman and and courageous, and, you know, she honors her ancestor, and she wants, she's written a book about it. And, you know, what was crazy is last week when that episode aired, the weekend before, she was inducted into the profession, Women's Professional Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, how neat. She had a great week. Well, and then she sent me a copy of a letter she was going into the hall, uh, basically being recognized as one of the, um, you know, um, honored alumni of the University in Kentucky of Kentucky for all of her her work, her research, and her you know her basketball career. She's just a terrific woman. I'm telling you, she's great. Well, and what her ancestor did with keeping the records of of all of the people that he helped with their name and what the name they took. I mean, it, it's going to enable a lot of people to to find ancestors they didn't know they had. I mean, the Underground well, Railway is an amazing thing. Well, well, and Harriet Tubman went back into the same counties <clears throat> where she had been a slave to help others escape multiple times. This woman is absolutely a hero. And I have to tell you, I'm disgusted. You know, that the current administration decided to hold off on taking off a known racist, Andrew Jackson, off the $20 mm-hmm. bill and put Harriet Tubman on it. And they're delaying it for, what, eight years? For what reason? Ah. It's, it's, it's BS. 
and it, they should honor her and they should do it immediately. I agree with you. Um, yeah. No, they 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 were they were amazing people back then who risked their lives and you know if ever they're quote unquote you know a, they were they were true Christians in the true sense of the word they they recognized mm-hmm. people as as equals and as as fellow human beings and they did their best to get them into a place and a society where they could thrive and they they could grow and they could um, have have full they put and rich their lives. lives at risk to help other people. Yeah, they were empathetic because they knew what these people had gone through because they had experienced them experienced you know these horrors themselves and I I, I mean I I honestly don't know if I would do that I I don't know if I would be that brave I'd like to think I would but. They did it, and it's just amazing, mm-hmm. and they should be honored and respected, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it doesn't fix, you know, the things that were done in the past, but it, it, it goes, you know, a step in the right direction towards healing. Well, and I think that it's think. a little frightening to think of, of how um, people are today trying to wipe out that part of our history because they're embarrassed by it, but it's a part of our history. It's where we grew from. It's it's. Um, well, well, we it have to not... acknowledge it. We have to we have to yeah. um, <clears throat> come to terms with it. I think we we can apologize and make changes. Mm-hmm. And there are people in this world today that, that that they don't think that should happen, and that's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's just well, wrong. There are people. There are people today that say the Holocaust didn't happen, too. So, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like if you ignore it, it goes away. I don't think so. Where did all those so. people go? It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I was involved in, in uh, the work at the Pentagon after 9-11, and people used to call me these people who claimed that they were members of the patriot community. And mm-hmm. they would try to say it was a missile or a bomb, and, you know, there weren't that many people killed. And I, I said, dude, <clears throat> where do you think those, these families' loved ones went that were on that plane? 164 passengers and crew. They didn't just disappear. Well, I guess you could say they did, almost. But where'd they go? I mean, it's just nonsense. And, and people are so caught up in their own conspiracy theories, they forget about the human element. And uh, mm-hmm. these loved ones were lost. They, they, they were real people. A couple hundred years they'll be saying that 9-11 never happened. <laughs> They're saying it now. Some people are actually saying that it's, it, I mean, it's crazy. But Yeah, anyway. you should come look at the big hole in the ground where, it, where the Twin Towers used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I think it's biggest... a beautiful monument now. I've been there recently, and uh, it's just a fantastic monument. If people it, uh, it is want to be inspired, go check it out. The most inspiring thing and the best monument there is to it, in my opinion, is that on on the evening of 9/11, there are two big spotlights that just shoot light into the air, and that to me is such a magnificent statement about yeah, know, the light going the up. Yeah, towers, yep. Yeah. That's, that incredible. to me is, um, it, it, it does, it 
it makes it gives you tingles and it, it it brings tears to your eyes. Um, we're we're getting close to the end here. I'm sorry to say. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's been fun and we we covered a lot of ground, haven't we? We have, but as soon as I've read your book, I'm going to get you back on board so we can talk about it. <laughs> but until then, where can people find you, get a hold of you, whatever? Well, um, <clears throat> first thing I would tell them to do is make sure you tune in tomorrow night at uh, 9 o'clock Central, 10 o'clock Eastern on Travel Channel and watch uh, Episode 4. Uh, where I investigate the Jack the Ripper mystery. And I really think people are going to be surprised at our suspect, and I think they're going to find we make a very compelling argument. And um, it's a tremendous episode, I think. I really had fun making this. And I think think we're on to something. I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, So watch the show, and um, if you can't get it on cable... Uh, you can download the Travel Channel app, and you can watch it, you know, all the episodes there. And if you download it, I think if you stream it, you can get the episodes a week early. Oh, cool. So that's cool. fun. If people are interested in my books, you can pre-order the um, – if you want a signed copy, uh, go to my website, which is www.hookedx.com, spelled just the way it sounds, H-O-O-K-E-D-X. Dot com and any every book bought off my website I sign. If you want to go to Amazon or go to the the um, North Star Press website, you can certainly do that. Um, and you can get Akhenaten, you get my Runestone uh, Compelling New Evidence book, and get the Hooked X. And then, um, I'll, like I said, in a week and a half, I'll have the new book. And I have to I have to tell you, I think it's the best work I've ever done. Um, oh, if people want to engage me about any of the episodes or any of the topics that I have on my on my blog, just go to uh, scottwalteranswers.blogspot.com, and uh, you'll see some fantastic stuff there. I actually reveal a few secrets in the book um, on my website, but you got to dig for it. Um, and we have some really great discussions there, and uh, you can you can ask me anything you want there. Very cool. Just out of curiosity, <laughs> excuse me, Seth, where do the ideas for the episodes come from? Well, they're uh, a combination of uh, what I call my stuff, <laughs> ideas that, <laughs> that we bring to them. Uh, the production company comes up with their own ideas, maybe a third or so. Um, and then the, la- the other third is the, produ- or, uh, the, the network. And... Um, you know, and it's quite a it's quite an eclectic mix of of things. I mean, we've looked at ancient aliens, we've looked at Bigfoot. Uh, those are network ideas, <laughs> mm-hmm. and of course, the Templars are my stuff and Freemasonic uh, things. And and the production company comes up with some great ideas too. So it's really a it's a combination. Well, you certainly have given us an eclectic look at what to look for and what to listen for. And everybody's going to be looking into Freemasonry for sure. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you so much. You have you have definitely um, filled the two hours and didn't even really scratch the surface. So um, <laughs> I, I, I so appreciate your taking the time to talk with us and uh, hope to have you back again after I read your book. All right. Well, um, as soon as I get it, I'll make sure you guys get a copy and uh, – 
you're going to I will tell you this there are some pretty big bombs that we drop in the book. I haven't said anything about uh. them, but I'll just let you read them, but there there's a, there's two big bombs in there that are are going to shock people for sure. All right. On that note, we're going to say good night. Good night, Scott. And thank <laughs> okay, you so very much. good. Well, listen, thanks again, Barbara, and uh, we'll okay. do it again soon, eh? Absolutely. Good night now.